The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com. Empire. Fighting through a pandemic takes a lot more than just sheer will. It's 24 7, it's no longer we turn up to training and we go home. It, it really is a lifestyle, and, and that's not always been the case. That's probably the, the biggest change we've, we've noticed over the three decades. That's Paul Balsam, the head of performance innovation with English Premier League team Leicester City. He's trying to help athletes maintain the highest level of play when the highest levels are hard to achieve these days. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Paul Balsam has worked with athletes across the globe on the club and international level. This year is one of the hardest to navigate for obvious reasons. Keeping the body and the mind sound, it's not easy. So it's been an upside down year around the globe for athletes and teams as leagues had to be shut down and then they restarted. And we all know all of the issues with whether fans can attend or not. But there's also been lag time that's been different this year for teams that have returned. And then when second seasons begin again, uh, there is some movement in trying to figure out how to improve performance around the globe amid this very odd time. So let's welcome in our guest, Paul Balsam, who is the head of performance innovation with Leicester City, the Premier League team, and the Swedish National Soccer Club. Nice to have you here, Paul. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Pleasure to be with you, Bram. Um, We're going to talk about Catapult. We'll talk about the movement profile that you're working with in a moment. But can you kind of sum up in Europe your viewpoint of the year in high-level athletics amid a pandemic? Uh, It's obviously been nothing like we've ever experienced before. And, and, um, I mean, I could probably talk about 10 different, and we could probably add another 10 on top of that. I mean, it's not just the physical. it's, It's the mental side of things, which which there actually is something called detraining system, detraining syndrome, where athletes uh, who are used to training on a regular basis and, and, you know, an integral part of their life suddenly cease the training and, and there's problems with insomnia, mental mental disorders, uh, et cetera. I mean, if we focus on the physical point of things, um, there's a lot of challenges for us as practitioners to, to, to keep them fit. And it's not just about keeping them fit, but it's keeping them specifically fit to play football. That's been one of the biggest challenges. Uh, So let's talk a little bit about the movement profile with Catapult that you're working with. Uh, What is it and and what is it intended to help you with? So this is something I've been very passionate about for the last 30, 35 years, really trying to, to, to measure the type of work that soccer players, football players are specifically doing when they're playing playing football, I'll, I'll talk about football and, and we'll, we'll take it for granted. I mean, soccer. Um, and one of the problems is is that, that the GPS technology and player tracking technology has been a, a very useful tool for us, but a very large part of the game is spent in 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 movements with at a very low speed with a very high metabolic cost. Um, 
So changes of directions, accelerations, decelerations. The GPS technology is not very good at, at picking up. So what we focused in, in on is something which we call dynamic movements. So these movements that are at a slow speed, very high power, very high metabolic costs, so mechanical and, and a high mechanical load. And that's really the key to this uh, to these new metrics that we've uh, developed together with Catapult. So why is measuring these explosive movements essential for you all to try to help them prevent soft tissue injuries? Because until now, we've had no way of quantifying them. So we've been able to look at things like total distances during a game, um, distances at different speeds. But what we've not been able to, to measure is these, as, as I've just said, that the very high metabolic cost, the high mechanical load. And we know that this will be... Um, this will be a preempt uh, soft tissue injuries if we're not managing the load during the training week. So, so during the training week, we need to have a mechanical load that's preparing an athlete to perform uh, during a game. We, we don't want to overload the mechanical load, but we must we must also have a mechanical load during the week to match the performance um, that we expect of the player uh, during the game time. Uh, you said you've been um, doing this. And Go ahead. And, and balancing this with with the with the high speed running. So so the key is we, we have a locomotive aspect to the game. So we, we're running at high speed, and we have a mechanical aspect. And and it's and it's getting the balance of these two right, which is uh, which moving forward now will be key for us. Paul, you said you've been doing this for like three decades, um, and, and all of this technology it feels very new. Maybe not in your world that it feels new, but it, but it feels very new to us on the outside. What have you learned about the human body and how it performs at the highest level levels of athleticism through your time working in this field? I think that I think the biggest thing, the, the one biggest thing, is the change. Is is, is the change if, if we if we look at the players I was working with three decades ago and the players that I'm working with today, um, and and probably even in the the last five to ten years, we've seen a huge shift to the to actually soccer players becoming athletes, which hasn't always been in the case in, in, in Europe. We've had some very, very talented soccer players who, who have been able to perform at the highest level uh, with high levels of skill and high levels of decision-making and probably not the performance capacity that we're seeing today. What we're seeing today is you need to have a very, very high performance ca- capacity together with an ability to make decisions and, and, and with skill. So it's And then also a, a psychological uh, toughness or, or what we want to call it. So I think that's that's the biggest change I've seen. And, and, and football and, and elite athletes today or elite football players, it's 24-7. It's no longer, you know, we turn up the training and we go home. It, it really is a lifestyle. And, and that's not always been the case. That's probably the, the biggest change we've, we've noticed over the three decades. And the training regimens, are they vastly different um, than what they used to be even five, ten years ago? I guess you could say yes and no. Yes, yes. The, the I mean, the preparation now is, is completely different. So, so we have, for example, uh, every training session with this type of technology, we're collecting around two million data points per player, um, and that's from from all the sensors we're using in the, in this player tracking technology, from heart rate, from subjective ratings of exertion, et cetera, et cetera. So, so the preparation of every training session is, it, it's not just a case of uh, getting a bag of balls and, and, and out we train. So the preparation is far greater. The, the athletes are reported, all the players are reported to, 
are required to report earlier to a training training ground where often breakfast becomes the start of the of the day and they'll be fed before they go home. And then there really is no hiding place anymore in, in, in a training session. And it's not all about, you know, running the furthest or running the fastest, but but actually it's it's all the different components and, and um in, in that respect, yes, it's it's a lot different. So maybe maybe even only a decade ago we've seen huge changes. Um, let's talk about customization a little bit in using the profile. Um, how has that changed your viewpoint of how to customize per athlete? It's actually so new. So actually it, it was released a week ago. I mean, obviously I've, I've had access to some of the data before now, but it, it, it's so new that this is something that, you know, we need to learn moving forwards. But I think what it will allow us to do, I, th- I think people who probably don't know Sokka so well, it's, it's not, it's not the one, the player who covers the most distance or run the fastest is the best player. In, in fact, it can be the opposite. Oftentimes standing still in a, in a certain situation or, or moving two steps to the left or two steps to the right is actually much better than maybe a 10 or 20 meter acceleration. So um, so, so, so players have to be uh, a lot smarter. So it's what we need to do, we, we need to start analyzing the, the data that we get in context to either the game or the drills that we're performing, and and start to get an understanding of of, of the data. Uh, what 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 will become uh, soon become in place is being able to to predict a load for a week. So so at the start of the week, when we're planning the week of training, we can plan for a certain volume of mechanical load and a certain volume of running load, and then as the week goes, we may adjust either by going up with the load or, or going down. Uh, going down with the load so so i think this is i think because we're used to working with metrics this is something that will happen sooner rather than later we won't have uh, we won't need a a large lead time but it will take some time to get used to the metrics Uh, and and one of the good thing about the metrics is we can go retrospectively back and look at the data we've collected previously so so that's something that will be happening now in in the coming weeks um i i like that you brought up the word load here in america load management kind of finally started circulating uh, specifically in the NBA because we heard about some high profile players uh, that were training differently or taking games off because under the, the cloud of load management. Um, has that been something that's been circulating in the soccer world in Europe? And, and if so, has it become uh, popular is the wrong word for it, but has it become commonplace in the circles of understanding players and, and what their bodies can handle? 100%. I mean, it's, it, it is the one thing now that, so I can speak for the, for, for again, soccer football in, in Europe, that, that managing load is, is really the key to both, uh, optimizing performance, but also minimizing the, the, the risk of injury. But, but it's, first we have to collect the data. So there are many, 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 many steps to, to, um, to successfully managing load. So first you have to collect the data. Um, through a play, some form of player-tracking technology. That data then has to be analyzed and filtered. That then has to be fed back to the coaches because the coaches are the ones making the... The coaches are the ones making the um, the, the decisions about uh, who will train and how much they'll train moving forward. And then there has to be an interaction. So so it's, it's not... To, to manage load is actually a very complicated process where... Sports science, uh, medical professionals, uh, coaches, and players themselves 
uh, are involved in. And, and actually, the, the, the latter is something which um, doesn't always happen. We believe by educating and embracing the players, um, we feel it's a very important part of the, of the whole process. So they're actually involved in how in, in telling us how much load their bodies can take and, and how they feel and, 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 and helping us help them adapt the load, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, I, I will let you go on, on one big picture question as well. Um, all the leagues around the world, regardless of the athletics uh, that are being played, are dealing with you know the upside down scheduling that has occurred this year based on all the health and safety issues that are happening globally. So you had mentioned earlier that there's a lot of complications that go into their lives have been changed and what they're accustomed to doing. Um, there's a lot less lag time in between seasons now, in between matches now. The All the routines seem to be off here. Um, what are the concerns you have in dealing with high-level athletes as they try to navigate a very unknown and very not routine year? Uh, it's, a, it's a very good question, and, and I think it's, it's, you know, I think that's where that's where the staff, um, you know, the support staff are always important at, at a club, but I think this is now where they become even more important. And, and I, I always talk about um, uh, a, multidisciplinary, a multidisciplinary team and an interdisciplinary approach where actually it's not just about the sports scientists or the medical, it's, it's about all members of staff coming together and working together for the same goal. And then we work in a team sport, but we work with individual players or individual athletes. So that's also then the challenge to to really try to individualize as much as possible for each and every player. And, and I've heard people talk about this for a long, long time now without actually seeing it being done well. But, but I'm starting to see now because of the circumstances we're in, and actually we have to, we have to adapt to each and every player to bring the best out of them. Um, and we've, we've seen some players coping very well, some players coping not so well, players with families, players without families, players being in complete lockdown, players being able to, to, um, to move freely. So it, it, it's, been a, it's, been a, it's been a big challenge, but uh, I really think the practitioners and, and a lot of credit to the practitioners involved that you know, they've done a great job to, 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 to keep the players as, as, as fit as possible and to keep performances at the level that we, we expect them. Paul Balsam is the head of performance innovation with Leicester City of the Premier League and works with the Swedish men's national team as well. Thank you so much for joining us. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Bram. On the next Future Sport Podcast, the trials of the Olympians who just want to get back in the pool. I can feel the pain that, that so many athletes have felt over the last six months, the feeling of denial and anger and certainly grief. But at this point now, you gotta, as my father used to say, you know, poop or get off the toilet, you know. Uh, That's legendary U.S. swimmer and Olympic broadcaster, Rowdy Gaines, who will join us for a lively discussion on how the Olympics work next year, if it's in a bubble and without crowds, and is pushed to reopen pools for high-level athletes now. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. 
So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com.